You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Randy Spate. everybody here today. Thank you so much for choosing to take part of your busy day. Spend it here with us. We, we welcome those of you who are watching us live as well. God bless you. We live in a violent world, don't we? Turned on the uh, news this morning, another shooting last night. Shouldn't surprise us. Do you know that the average youth, by the time they turn 18 years old, they will have witnessed 200,000 acts of violence on television. About half of those come from the cartoons that are specifically directed at our children. Video games, music, Movies, television, they all depict violence as an acceptable form of dealing with conflict and sometimes as the preferred way to deal with conflict. So maybe it shouldn't surprise us when we hear that on August the 12th, a man drove through the drive-in at Steak and Shake. I never do that because it takes forever at Steak and Shake to go through the drive-in. And he became upset at the service that he was getting or not getting. So he drove up to the window, he pulled out a gun, and he shot at the employees that were serving him. He hit one young teenager who didn't happen to be working that day was an employee of Steak and Shake, but not on the job. He's recovering, thankfully. But how do you deal with conflict? Pull out a gun and start shooting. In Indianapolis, as of July the 31st of this year, there had been 450 non-fatal shootings Now that's up from 350 a year ago at the same time. It's an increase of about 30%. 125 people stabbed and 153 fatal shootings. There were 32 in July alone. That averages out to about three homicides every four days. One in four women have been victims of domestic violence. That's more than double what it was last year, or what it was pre-COVID. Part of the problem with COVID is that women who were living in a violent situation at home were suddenly 
confined to the same house as their abuser and then put in extremely stressful situations. Shouldn't surprise us that domestic violence skyrocketed during COVID. One in five children live in families where domestic violence occurs. Many of you are teachers. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it in students that come into your classroom. One in five children are bullied. What is bullying? It's the expression of aggression and violence in inappropriate ways. And this is the one that amazed me. Four in five drivers, not experienced, but expressed some form of road rage over the previous year. Now that might be as simple as shouting at the top of your lungs your impression of the IQ of the other driver. Or maybe saluting him with the one finger salute. But four and five expressed some form of road rage over the last year. <laughs> now, if we truly believe that the image of God is present in each one of us, that has an impact, or it should have an impact, on the way that we treat other people with the image of God in them as well. Well, what does the Bible say about this? Well, there's a passage of Scripture at, at the very last night of Jesus' life. Uh, during the Last Supper, Jesus makes a very cryptic statement. He says to the disciples, if you don't have a sword, go sell your cloak and buy a sword. Now, was he talking about what was coming up in the Garden of Gethsemane? Probably not, because all of the gun shops in Jerusalem were closed by that hour. I'm not totally sure what he did mean, but Peter showed him his fishing knife, probably a form of a machete. And Jesus said, yeah, that's okay, Peter. Then during the arrest in Gethsemane, the soldiers arrest Jesus. So Peter whips out his sword and he starts swinging. And he manages to cut off the ear of a slave, of a, of a high priest, of, a, of one of the priests who were there. It's interesting that he didn't attack the soldiers. They had swords. <laughs> but this slave, think I can take him. Jesus said, Peter, don't be silly. That's not what I'm talking about. Put your sword away. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Violence breeds more violence. Aggression results in more aggression. That's what Jesus is saying. You live by the sword, 
you live violently, and what will happen? You'll get violence right back. Aggression breeds aggression. Martin Luther King in the 60s led a number of protests. His desire was that those protests be peaceful. They became violent, and so he addressed the crowds that went with him, and he said, this isn't right. Hate begets hate. Violence begets violence. Toughness begets a greater toughness. We must meet the forces of hate with the power of love. Now I suspect that right about now you're thinking, yeah, but the Old Testament. I remember reading when God rained down fire and brimstone on the enemy. I remember when he told Israel to go out and kill them all. Kill every man, woman, and child, and the animals as well. What about that? Well, in the Old Testament, God does authorize the nation of Israel to protect itself from its enemies by going to war. God authorizes the community of Israel to punish offenders of certain crimes with violence. But God never tells individuals to go out and commit acts of violence in order to avenge what's happened to them. Now, in Exodus chapter 22, in, in what's called the book of the law, right after the Ten Commandments, there are statements there that show us that self-protection is authorized. A man can use violence to protect his life or to protect the life of his family, even to protect his home. But you get the sense that those acts of violence are never authorized in fits of rage or to avenge something that has happened. And even those acts of violence are always a last resort. We started talking about the violence in Indianapolis. So what can we do about the violence that we see around us? It's a big question, isn't it? Let me give you a relatively long, somewhat complicated answer. I want to tell you about a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Solzhenitsyn was born early last century. He was a Russian novelist, a philosopher. He was a historian. He fought for the Red Army during World War II. While he was fighting for the Red Army, he wrote a private letter to a friend criticizing Stalin because he saw much of what Stalin was doing. And he said, that's just over the top. That's not appropriate. 
Well, guess what? Stalin had his spies everywhere, and even private letters would be opened and read, and Solzhenitsyn's was read. As a result, Solzhenitsyn was convicted, he was arrested, convicted, and sentenced to eight years in the Russian gulag in Siberia, and then to a number of additional years of exile. He spent all that time in Siberia. He was a writer, so he did what came naturally, and he, and he wrote. His books were wonderful. They made their way outside of Russia, and, and uh, he came to prominence internationally as a major figure in literature. In fact, in 1970, he won the Nobel Prize for literature. Well, Stalin eventually died. Khrushchev was now the leader in Russia. And uh, he saw how well Solzhenitsyn's works were accepted outside of Russia. And so he actually encouraged Solzhenitsyn to keep writing, and he did. And his works were famous. But his works also criticized the Soviet Union because while Khrushchev was not as bad as Stalin, it's still pretty bad. So eventually, the totalitarian state that took away the civil rights of so many took away the citizenship of Solzhenitsyn. He was now a man without a country. He spent a couple of months in Germany and then made his way to the United States. By 1976, he began to live here in this country. He continued to write. By 1990, the Soviet Union was disintegrating. Solzhenitsyn's citizenship was restored to him. And he moved back to Russia. He began to travel areas that he remembered, including Siberia, the gulag where he had been imprisoned, the areas where he had been exiled. And wherever he would go, he would greet everyone with a warm, friendly greeting, a handshake, a hug, including the bureaucrats that would sign the letters that had him imprisoned and exiled. Some of his friends criticized him for this. He said, how can you do that? They're evil people. Listen to what Solzhenitsyn wrote. He said it way better than I ever could. He said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. Even within hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained. And even in the best of hearts, there remains an uprooted small corner of evil. What Solzhenitsyn says is it's so easy for us to draw a line out there and say, 
over there. That's bad. That's evil. I'm good. Solzhenitsyn says that's not what we need to do. The line of evil runs right through each one of us. Every one of us has good and evil. You look at the Bible and you see the Bible says that over and over and over again. Whenever the Bible talks about violence, frequently the speaker will turn to himself or to his audience and say, where's the violence in you? It's easy for us to draw a line a mile and a half north of us and say, hey, we're in Johnson County. In Marion County, it's horrible. Just look at what's going on over there. But we're Center Grove. We're okay here. Well, guess what? Aggression and violence lies within all of us. And what we do about the violence in Indianapolis is to take care of what we can take care of. The violence in our own hearts. Because our aggression, our violence can breed more violence. Who knows if that driver that you flipped off on the road won't go home angry and beat his wife. Who knows if the reader of that social media post that was so clever when you took him down won't close his laptop and shout at his children because he's upset. You see, we're constantly tempted to draw a line between us and them. That's where the violence is. I'm okay. The Bible continually tells us, examine your own heart. Look at what you're doing. We can react to insults with aggression. What do we get from that? More aggression. That's just what happens. That's the way things are. So what does Jesus say about that? I think that the, the passage that the Fernet family read for us before we began to teach, I think that kind of summarizes what Jesus was saying about this whole thing, about how to react when someone treats you aggressively. Don't react to aggression with more aggression. He says, don't resist an evil person. They slap you on one cheek, turn so they can access the other cheek more easily. If you're sued in court and they take away your shirt, Give me your cloak as well. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, 
volunteer to carry it the second mile. Give to those who ask. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Don't respond to aggression with more aggression. Respond to aggression with gentleness. Respond to aggression with something that will not breed more aggression. In the Old Testament, Solomon put it this way. He said, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Boy, isn't that true? Somebody is aggressive with you, respond with gentleness. Take a deep breath. Say a quick prayer. (laughs) Respond with gentleness, and the anger just subsides. I've seen it happen time and again. Standing in a line, the person attending me is starting to raise their voice. I can raise mine right back, and hey, I can shout pretty loud. I've never had that help. (laughs) But if I kind of take a step back and say, hey, I get it, I understand. I know you're limited in what you can do. Have you thought about trying this? Well, you get... You get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar, don't you? (laughs) Now, is violence and aggression ever okay? Well, apparently it was because there were times that Jesus responded to the Pharisees aggressively. There were times that he insulted them. There were even times that he made a whip to drive the animals and the money changers out of the temple. In the book of John... It happens the first year of his ministry in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It happens also in the last year of his ministry. I just kind of wonder if it didn't happen every year. He had about a three and a half year ministry. I kind of think four times Jesus went to the temple during Passover and drove the animals and the money changers out. He did it twice. Why not four times? I kind of think by the fourth year, they posted lookouts. Hey, Jesus is coming. Round the animals up if you don't want to lose them. Let's get them out of here. You know what he's going to do. But that aggression was always controlled. It was never vindictive. It was never done in anger, and it was not done to avenge something that had been done. I get it. I get it. It's easy to be aggressive. It's super easy for me to be aggressive. But if we want to stop the violence around us, we need to stop the violence within us. We need to stop our own expressions of aggression. We need to stop them in our social media posts. Who knows what happens on the other side of the screen? 
when the person we're directing it at. And usually, there is a person we're directing it at. What happens when they put their laptop down? We need to stop our aggression as we're driving in our cars. You know, one of the things that social media and cars have in common is the anonymity as we sit. Nobody sees us. Nobody really knows us. We can say things on social media we would never say to a person face-to-face. We can shout insults in our car because we have windows up and they have windows up. The radio is loud in our car and in theirs. We know that they're not going to actually hear what we're saying, so we just go ahead and say whatever we want. Well, guess what? They can't hear you, but they can see you. They know you're being aggressive. We've got to stop being aggressive with our children. I get it. I'm a parent. I had four kids, and spoiler alert, Kids are stupid. And there are times that we have to correct them. But aggression is not the way to correct. It doesn't work. It breeds more aggression. We've got to stop our aggression with our coworkers. So what does this mean for us? (laughs) If you are in a situation at home that is violent, tell somebody and get out. Don't respond with aggression. Don't meet violence with violence. Tell someone and remove yourself from that situation. You find it hard to control your anger? I understand. Tell somebody and get help. Start with us if you want to. Any one of the pastors here, give us a call. But I'll let you know that none of us are trained counselors. So we're probably pretty quickly going to say, hey, you know, this is beyond me. You need help. Let me find you some help. But don't just try to do it on your own. God's image is within all of us. That means that how we treat other people is important. What we do to other people matters. What we do can spread violence or it can stop it. We need to respect the image of God that is within others. We need to embody the image of Christ that is being formed within us. If we truly want to be Jesus in every corner of our world, then we must replace 
aggression with gentleness. I know that's not easy. But nobody said the Christian life would be easy. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.